Greetings this morning, everyone. Thank you for coming out and partaking in the worship of our God and also learning of his word. You know, I came, I came here this morning in my own context, with my own week behind me, with my own week ahead of me, which you plan to do, you think you're going to do, and things like that. But you, we all individually come here in our own individual state. And we gather together. And then we, and that's some of the things that I think about as I, as I seek the Lord for a message I speak from my own context, my own understanding, yet I want to reach all of us in your context and understanding and your needs. So that's a a um, big occupation. That is actually something that the Lord needs to give us the ability to do because it's bigger than me. Obviously, I come here this morning with several things in my context. It's a new chapter in my life. And I came from a week of meetings where we talked about a major event in another church's life and CAM and and things of that nature, and that has an effect. But I think of the new chapter in my life, I remember very, very distinctly after we found out we were expecting our seventh child that I went out behind the house and I sat on those stones and I just was just sitting there thinking, am I a fit father to be a father of seven children? And it struck me in a way it hadn't before, and maybe not even since. But it was, it was sobering. It was a sense of awe. It was also a sense of responsibility and a feeling of inadequacy and other emotions that came through. Well, we survived our seventh child. She's here this morning. (laughs) She's a blessing. And through many dangers and tolls and snares, we uh, had a few more, and God has blessed. I trust that can be our experience as we go forward as as a congregation. Several years ago, I had preached a message about the faith and works of Rahab, that sinful woman in a sinful culture, like we were talking about, a very wicked culture Jericho was. But she, as a sinful woman in a wicked culture, believed the God of Israel and was saved. And I am still amazed as I studied her life, and whenever I think about her, she amazes me. She is an amazing woman. 
And we do well to meditate on a Bible character who is mentioned twice in the New Testament as a virtuous example. This morning, I want to look at a contrasting character, a contemporary of Rahab. In fact, somebody that was involved in the same event. He was a man. He was an Israelite. He was a family man with children, a wife and children. He did not believe and obey God. He was not saved. Who do you think it might be? A contemporary of Rahab. Achan. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Some... Some of, just a little bit, I'm going to give a little bit of contrast that we're going to focus mostly on Rahab, uh, not Rahab, on, on Achan this morning and get examples from his life, warnings rather, <laughs> from his life. But uh, we want to, in the midst of that, want to do a little bit of contrasting between Achan and Rahab. Now Rahab, she had a lot of negatives. Her occupation was, you would say that was a negative, right? Okay, that's a negative. Her people were a negative. In fact, God had pronounced anathema, devoted to destruction, her people. And so she was in there. But then we have some of her highlights, her faith, her works of risking all, her concern for her own family, her salvation, and then she even comes into the lineage of Christ. On both sides, Mary and Joseph were both descendants of Rahab. That's amazing. Now, Achan, we don't know too much about Achan as a person other than his status as a soldier in Joshua's army. However, you have a, a you have his genealogy given and the biblical author, whoever wrote Joshua, took pain to show that Achan was not an outsider. His family stretched, history stretched back for generations in God's chosen people. Therefore, his disobedience to God is the more remarkable. So, we're going to read some passages we're going to read some about, uh, and you can turn your Bible to Joshua chapter 6, and we'll read a few verses, uh, a few verses there in Joshua 6. And then we'll read all of Joshua 7. So we'll do some scripture reading this morning. But Joshua 6 is, I guess you could saw it's one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Well, I don't know, there's many of them. You have David and Goliath, and you have many others, but the going around the city of Jericho seven times and then seven times on the last day and then shouting and the walls coming down and victory and all that is just an amazing, amazing story. I mean, you, would, you should take all the stories, the stories, events, <laughs> narrative history out of the Bible. You wouldn't have that much left. You would have lots, lots left. But we can learn a lot about God from these stories. So, 
Before this supernatural victory, Joshua gave this following command, and it's in Joshua chapter 6 and starting at verse 16. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priests blew with their trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And then he gives, I'm trying to think of the lineage. It almost seems like he told them to shout and then he gave the warning, but that, it, it, it couldn't have been in that kind of context. It seemed like he was telling them ahead of time what to do. And this is what he told them. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise keep yourself from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourself accursed, when ye take up the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel accursed, and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come to the treasury of the Lord. And elsewhere, he just tells about, you know, destroy, they destroyed everything. The donkeys, you know, the whole thing was destroyed. But the point I wanted to make out with this is that there was clear direction given. You shall in no wise take anything at all. This is a curse. It's anathema. Don't take it lest you take of the accursed thing and bring a curse on yourself and on the camp of Israel and you bring trouble. So the commandment was clear. It was inambiguous. There was no way to misunderstand this commandment of God. Now we're going to read in chapter 7 and we'll read the whole chapter. I, I just didn't know how to break it up, so... Let's read it. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Sabdi, the son of Sarah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai. And make not all the people to labor thither, but they, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Sebram, and smote them into the going down. Wherefore the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide, he and all the elders of Israel, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God! Wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall envire us round and cut off our name from the earth. 
and what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel has sinned, and they also have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and also stolen, have stolen, and dissembled also. Dissembled there means they have hid it or lied about it. And they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourself against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee, O Israel. Thou canst not stand before thine enemies, till ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, ye shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord taketh shall come according to the families thereof, and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households, and the household which the Lord shall take shall come by man by man. And it shall be that he that is taken with the accursed thing shall be burnt with fire, he and all that he hath, because he hath transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he hath wrought folly in Israel. And I'm going to read that, go down to verse 19, where they took the tribe by tribe, and they found out it was Achan. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan said, Joshua, answered Joshua, and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them, and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran unto the tent, and behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Sarah, and the silver, and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned him them with fire. And after they had stoned them with stones, they raised over him a great heap of stones unto this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger, Wherefore, the, day, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day, the Valley of Trouble. What a tragedy, and how sad. How did this come about to a man named Achan? In a, the... The title this morning, Are You 
Let's see if I get it exactly. Achan or Rahab, which are you? <laughs> Achan, you were with the people of God. You saw the mighty works of God. Now, I don't know how old Achan was, but he was younger than 20, 38 years before. So he was, at the most, he could have been about my age in his mid-50s. Maybe he was even down to 40. I don't know how old he was. Maybe he was younger. Maybe he was in his 30s. But he was fed with this manna for all these years. Maybe he was old enough to remember coming out of Egypt. Maybe he wasn't. But he knew that when you, when you uh, took two days worth of manna, or rather you took too much and you kept it to the next day, it stank. But if you did it on Friday, the day before the Sabbath, and you got two days worth, it didn't stink. He would have seen the pillar of cloud a fire, and a cloud by day and a fire by night. He would have heard Moses speak. He would have seen the judgment of God that all the people over 20 died, except two people, and they were still alive. Like God had promised, and he was there. And then not too long before, he came over to Jordan on dry ground with the whole nation of Israel when it was during the flood time. When the river's banks were overflowing, there was no way through, and he went through with the rest. Then he went around Jericho, and when they shouted, the walls came crashing down. Now, would that not bring you a sense of reverence and awe of God? Maybe that would be humility in your heart instead of pride. Now, let's contrast that lack of recognition of God and reverence to Rahab. What did Rahab see? Well, I'm going to read. You can actually turn over there. Just read a few verses. It's probably familiar to you, but let's read a few verses, and I'll comment a few on it. In Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, gives a little bit. It's not her full testimony, but it's in a nutshell, her testimony, what she believed. And in verse 9, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. That was 40 years ago. 40 years before, we heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea for you. And then what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites. Now that was contemporary. That had just happened. That were on the other side of Jordan. Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, here's our testament, he is the God in heaven above and in earth beneath. That is her testimony. 
The Lord, your God, you spies, your God, he is the God of heaven and earth. And that is astounding. That testimony of her faith rises head and shoulders above, I would say, many, even maybe today. But Achan, your privileged status made you sin and disobedience all the more heinous. As you sit here this morning, as we are here this morning, we all have a heritage. We all have a background. We have a past. We have a heritage. Some of our heritage resembles Rahab's more. Some of our heritage resembles Ahab's. Achan's. Thank you. More. It varies. Some of us have come from a long lineage or a heritage of godly or religious people. Some of us have godly grandparents, godly parents. Others have come out of a heritage of wickedness and sin and cannot point to any godly family members. Now the blessing of the grace of God is is that we do not we are not dependent on our past. That is a blessing and the grace of God. We're not tied to our past. And the person like Rahab became part of the lineage of Christ like I had mentioned. So, we're not tied to our past no matter how bad our heritage is. But the contrast is true as well. And that is my first point. And the point now here is what can we learn from the event of Achan? And my first point is being among a privileged, victorious people is no guarantee of our outcome, personal outcome. Being among the people of God, even a victorious people of God, is no guarantee of a personal outcome. As I mentioned, he had... All the privileges and heritage, all the way back to Judah, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham. He was a true son of Abraham. And even today, you can trace your lineage back to Europe. They have all been faithful Anabaptists, maybe. You can have godly parents and godly grandparents. You are now baptized. You're now a member of the church. You participate in the activities. You sing, you partake of communion. You may be a young person, you may be an older person, you may be a grandparent. But you are here. You are here. Among the people of God. You might be a first generation Christian or a second generation. But you are now partaking of the root and fatness of the olive tree. But back to the original point, being among the privileged, victorious people is no guarantee of the outcome. Sometimes we get the idea that if an organization is ordered correctly, it's going to have an almost guaranteed outcome. We, we hear that concept, and I actually do not want to diminish this. 
if you have a godly home, if you have a godly father and a godly mother, you, the outcome is much, as a whole, the outcome is much, much, much better. And so there's a lot of truth in that. And if you are in a godly church, a similar thing is the truth. It has, it can and it does have enormous impact. But I like to ask, whose fault was it that Achan sinned? Was it Joshua's fault? Was it the nation's fault? Whose fault was it? Was it his wife's fault? That would be nice, right? Blame it on someone else, like Adam did. (laughs) It's my wife's fault. Well, finally, it was his personal choice. As we saw, he had so much for him, so many privileges. But being there was no guarantee of outcome. That is point one that we can learn from Achan. Point number two, getting something now when you are told to wait till later is sin. And I explain that. Jericho was the first city conquered in the real promised land. They had they had conquered some land across the Jordan, but they came across the Jordan, and Jericho was the first city. And there were many, many, many more cities to be conquered. Now, Nehemiah, and I'm going to just read that one verse out of Nehemiah. When he's recounting the history of Israel, he says this in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 25, if you want to write the reference. And uh, I uh, actually don't know quite the context. I didn't know. I don't remember right now. But I can just read the verse. And they took strong cities, talking about the children of Israel, and a fat land, and possessed houses full of all goods, well-staked, vineyards, and olive yards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. It seems like it was almost like, I'm not sure, maybe it's a prayer of God because it's like it's addressed to God. They, the people, they took the strong cities and they got these houses full of all good things. They were just full of goods. They were full of, they had silver and gold and, and clothing in those houses that they took. The Israelites, according to this verse, became wealthy and well off. Now, can you imagine with me, if you have lived for 40 years, well, first of all, maybe you were a slave. A slave people probably weren't rich. And then you lived in tents for 40 years. I mean, if you're living, let's say you can gain a habit in 21 days. I found that's not true. It takes at least two months for me. What if you do something for 40 years? Would that be a habit? That'd be a lifestyle. I think you'd be a lifestyle, right? Forty years is a lifestyle. Okay. If you're living in tents and you're moving around, you can have more stuff than you can carry with you. So they were 
what we would call today minimalist. They didn't have lots of stuff. Possessing. And then they come to a land that was settled, that was wealthy, that had many natural resources. And it's a land that is given to them. In a sense, they had to take it, but God said, I will give it to you. And so there it is, all theirs, except for this city, this first city, Jericho. It seems like, and I don't know, maybe some of you know more about it. I didn't do a lot of stuff. It seems like in keeping line with God, giving the first fruits go to God. Well, this was the first fruit, and everything went to God. And then later on, it's yours. So the Lord directed that all the precious metals would go to the Lord and everything else would be destroyed. But going forward, the spoils of conquest were to be had and shared among the people. So it was not that Achan was being deprived. It's not his needs were being met. And there was the promise and anticipation of a lot of goods and wealth to come. Like I said, a fat land, houses full of good things, and that would include gold and silver and clothing. But for now, not now, you need to wait. 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 Isn't that what we tell our children? Wait till mealtime. Wait till your birthday. Wait till the next exit. We love our children and we want to bless them. But we ask them to wait. And it's often for their own good. And that's how God is. He is good. He will take care of us. He will bless us abundantly. But many times we need to wait. In fact, for the Christian, much of his reward is not even in this life. In the hall of faith, uh, in the chapter of faith there, many of those people that waited for the promises did not receive them in this life. I remember it was out in the meetings. I don't know not for context it was, but someone asked someone else. This is what ministers talk to each other about. Said, so where's your patience? And he said, I left it at home. <laughs> well, let's not leave our patience at home. So wait, Jesus did that. Here in Hebrews chapter 12, I'll just paraphrase it. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And then he's now set down at the right hand of God. He needed to wait for his exaltation. He needed to go through a difficult time. He needed a period of waiting. How is it that the meek shall inherit the earth? We go back to the lesson this morning a little bit. Meek. Who inherits the earth? Uh, who, no, that's not inherit. Who gets the earth? Well, it's the mighty. It's the strong. No. God says, be meek. Be Come under my control. Allow me to guide things. Be humble. And I will give it to you. 
in time, but not right now. The meek that inherit the earth faithfully follow the Lord, and in time the inheritance will come. You know, it's the principle in this statement, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now I'm going to go back to one of my favorite books, Pilgrim's Progress, and get an excerpt from there. I encourage you to read it. And I'm going to read an excerpt, and this is Pilgrim as he is with the interpreter, and the interpreter is just showing him a number of things. I saw moreover in my dream that the interpreter took him by the hand and had him in a little room where sat two little children, one each in his chair. The name of the eldest was Passion and the name of the other Patience. Passion seemed to be much discontented, but Patience was very quiet. Then Christian asked, what is the reason of discontent of passion? The interpreter answered, the governor of them would have him stay for his best things till the beginning of the next year. But he will have all now, but patience is willing to wait. Then I saw that one came to passion and brought him a bag of treasure and poured it down at his feet the which he took up and rejoiced therein, and with all laughed patient to scorn. But I beheld but, but a while, and he had lavished all his away, and had nothing left him but rags. Then said in Christian to the interpreter, Expound this matter more fully to me. So he said, These two lads are figures, passions of the men of this world, and patient of the men of which is to come. For as here thou seest, passion would have all now this year, that is to say, in this world. So are the men of this world. They must have all their good things now. They cannot wait till next year, that is, until the next world, for their portion of good. That proverb, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, is a more authority with them than are all the divine testimonies of the good of the world to come. But as thou sawest, he had quickly lavished all away, and had presently left him nothing but rags. So shall it be with all such men at the end of the world. Then said Christian, Now I see that patience has the best wisdom, and upon many accounts. First, because he stayed for the best things. Second, and also because he will have the glory of his when the other has nothing but rags. And I think, I don't think I read it here, but he has, it, it came with interest. What he, what he saved up comes with interest, and he had just a lot more. You know, that's true for us today, for all of us. We hear these advertisements, you deserve it. Buy it now. Buy it on payments. Don't deprive yourself and wait till marriage. Have it all now in the way you want it. And we even have, even have, I don't know what you call it, the iGeneration. I guess we have the iPhone, the iTunes, the iCloud, the iTunes, the iFlix, the iPod, the iPad. It's all about I. The Christian life 
the life of following Christ, following his example, is ultimately a life of sacrifice and patience. Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you persecuted. It's not the rich and the powerful and the famous that are blessed. James 2, 5 says, Hearken, listen, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him? And I looked for it in, this, in our song book, but I don't think it's in there. <laughs> I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. You know, we don't need to keep up with the Jones. We need to get the concept of that song. And I just thought, why well, I'd just read it. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-scarred hands than to be a king in the best domain or to be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide things. I'd rather be true to his holy name. Getting something now when you are told to wait till later is sin. That was one of the things we can learn from Achan's life. Number three. What can we learn from Achan? What is whispered in the ears will be shouted on the housetops. Achan's sin was done in secret. Among the heathen, people sin openly. The more wicked the culture, the more openly people sin. The more brazenly openly they sin. And this culture that we are in, you can see that coming out right in front of us. The open and the brazenness. And the mockery, it's much more open than it used to be. But someone who sins in and among the midst of God's people does so in secret. The more religious the people are, the more secret their sin is. And I think you can go to the bank with that. Achan was a religious man among a religious people. And I'm going to read, and you can turn, it's three, three verses. I like to read in, verse, in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus talks about this thing as well. Chapter 12, starting at verse 1, 1 to 3. In the meantime... When they were gathered together in a numerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be made known. 
Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Achan found this out. So have many others. For some, it is only found out after they're dead and gone that people find out their sins. Some may have, I'm sure, are never found out, but it will be displayed in enormous tribunal of heaven. Their sins are going to be expounded, explained, revealed to everybody to see. The angels, the Lord, and I don't know who all is going to be there. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed. There is no theft, no lie, no impurity, no slander, no pride. You know, this is an absolute law of the universe as designed by God, and that is actually why we can, like John has said, um, Alexander, he, you can you can let God let the justice to God because justice is going to come, and we don't need to do it. An absolute law of the universe is justice, except for those who are in Christ Jesus who receive mercy. Proverbs. 28.13, I'm going to read the first part of the verse. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. And Achan did not prosper. In Numbers 32, verse 23, talking about the tribes that promised that they would help their brothers on the other side of Jordan conquer the land, and God was holding them to their promise, and he said, if but if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. You have sinned against the Lord. And be sure, your sin will find you out. I remember the first time that I remember that sin, that verse being said. Uh, I don't know, maybe not the first time I heard it, probably, but the first time I, and I remember hearing it. I'm sure I heard it before. But I heard it in my home. From my wife. And. I had no idea what the event was. But I did something. Behind her back. And she found it out. I had no idea what it is anymore. So I I can't. Go on it. But she said. Be sure your sin will find you out. And I must say, every man should have a good wife. (laughs) Although the Holy Spirit is the real convictor, even though God uses people. God warned them, be sure your sin will find you out. Sin will hunt you down and find you and expose you. That's what God says. So what's the answer for any of God's people? Well, it's the rest of Proverbs 28:13, which the first part is, um, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsaketh them shall have mercy. That's the God we serve. He's a God of judgment, 
But he is a God of mercy. But it does lie in some decisions we make. Achan, when he first heard that there was a defeat, an AI, an Israelite, it was a defeat. There were some soldiers killed. There were some fathers who didn't come home that night. There were some brothers who were forever missing in that family. And he heard about that. And then he heard that it's because of sin in the camp. What would have happened had he, at that point, said, it's me, it's me. We don't know. Maybe it was already too past, too far gone. What if he'd been spared? God, we just know that God is plenteous in mercy, and but we also know that God is just. David was spared when he sinned. And in some ways, he sinned, well, you almost think he almost sinned as bad as Achan did. And he did not confess it until he was confronted, which is amazing that God gave him mercy. So would Achan have received mercy? We don't know. But just like Achan's sin, David's sin was shouted from the housetops. The whole world knew about his sin that he did one night in secret when he thought nobody knew. And God knew and everyone else knew. But he received mercy. Although he did receive also lifelong consequence for his sin. So obviously... I was going to say everyone should have a blessing of a good woman like that in his life. It helps prepare us to prepare to meet thy God. But actually, like I said, the Holy Spirit obviously needs to guide us in this. If there's anyone here and you have secret sin, either in your past or your present, Find someone to confess it to. And I'm serious. There is mercy available now, still. One factor early in my Christian life was a clear teaching from uh, Bill Gothard teaching and some discipleship that I received at that time. And uh, Bill Gothard had this had this uh, saying or this concept that you should not have, there should nobody be able to walk up to you and say, you have wronged me and you have never tried to make it right. He's talking about clearing your conscience. That was some discipleship that I received, that I walked out. Early on in my Christian life. And went to a number of people. In some very difficult situations. And cleared my conscience. That nobody can come to me and say you wronged me. And you did not attempt to make it right. Clear them up. 
And find someone to confess all your sins to. Own up to who you were. If you need to in the past. If you've never done that, you should do that. You know, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of the situation in Ohio right now where that was not done. Own up to who you were or are and don't cover your sin. Confess and forsake and you shall have mercy even if you have to pay for it for now. Because be sure your sin will find you out. So what can we learn from Achan? What is whispered in the ears will be shouted from the housetop. Okay, number four. Our sins are never only personal. In this case, in Achan's case, there was a battle lost. God's people were devastated, and we heard how Joshua, that mighty man who lived through all those years, and I know that Caleb was the one who said, give me this mountain. You know, he was a man of God. Here you had Joshua saying, oh, Lord, what if we just stayed over there? Uh, the, the melting of heart that sin does. The devastation it can bring to God's people. Our sins are never only personal. And like I said earlier, there were some fathers and brothers who did not come home, never came home. So how does sin affect us? I could have expanded a lot on this, but I, I, I'm fairly brief on this. But it hinders relationship. If you have sin in your heart, your conscience is not clear. If you are covetous, you're going to relate a certain way with people. If you have a covetous heart, if you want stuff, or uh, covetous is in many ways. It can be money. It can be um, recognition. It can be, yeah, lots of things. And if you're covetous, that sin is in your heart. It affects your relationships with other people. It just will. It it. it Bleeds through. If you're ang- an angry person or a lustful person, it's 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 a difference of how you relate to people and how you and how they re- how they um, interact. And what you instead of the beauty and the love and the closeness and the trust, you have turmoil. You know the word holy is connected to the word healthy. Holy and healthy are connected. What is holy is healthy. What is unholy is unhealthy. And so an unholy heart, an unholy life, brings an unholy interaction with others. And it affects our children for sure. You know, I was thinking of Achan again. He probably had a number of reasons to justify taking the stuff. And we don't know. We can't read his heart. But that's the problem with sin. It always, sin always has your best interest at heart. I say always. Maybe there's exceptions to that because there's some things that we do that we know are wrong, but you're in bondage to it. But most, many times, there's a justification. You can actually irrationalize yourself into just about anything. 
And I think you know what I'm talking about because I think you have all done it. (laughs) We have all done it. We have managed to talk ourselves into every bad decision that we've ever made in our life. And the sin is incredibly deceptive. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to transform us. Because left to our own, we will just justify every sin and every step because of the deception. Sin is destructive to the kingdom, to the culture, to the family, and to the very heart of the individual who continues to commit sin. And I think we'll let that go at that, but uh, our sin is not ever, usually not ever personal, only personal. Number five, the last point here is that God's word is the standard. God's word is the standard. There's a saying that says, God said it, what comes next? I believe it, that settles it. But that's not accurate. (laughs) You can shorten it. God said it, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. Whether I believe it has an effect on me, but it has no effect on what God said. So, Joshua, I just want to look at one example of this in Joshua 6. I don't know if you're still open to Joshua or not, but I got one verse here. Joshua 6, verse 26, at the end of that chapter, after Jericho was destroyed, then Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that rises up and buildeth this city Jericho, for he shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. Now that's not quite so clear, so I'm going to quote the excellent scholarly version. ESV. Joshua laid an oath upon them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation, and at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. Now now we know exactly what he means. Joshua, as God's prophet, pronounced a curse. A curse on a man who rebuilt Jericho. God's word. That was God's word through through Joshua. And Jericho lay in ruins for a long time. And the best date that I know is 525 plus years. So I did a little bit of calculation. I went 525 plus years and I came up with approximately 1492. What happened in 1492? Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Now what would you think is somebody back there pronounced a curse on something you wanted to do today? How much stock would you put in that? But it was God's word. And I like to read what happened. In 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 20 uh, 33 and 34 and it's it's almost like in passing, because it's talking about the kings. 
Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, and that's how we can date it, in his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gate at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. And the point I want to do is God's word is the standard. You know, God's let God be true and every man a liar. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Today, there is less and less respect for the Word of God, for the Bible. There are alternative realities being promoted from one end of the world to the other. A different view of creation, which is evolution. A different view of man. He's not a sinner. He's a good and deserving person. A different view of sin. If it harms us, it's a sickness. If it doesn't harm us, then have at it. It's a different view of reality. There are no absolutes, and on and on and on we can go. In other words, God's word has always been challenged, but it is challenged to the hilt today, an alternative view. And, and we could ask, well, could that affect us? Well, yes, it can. It sure can affect us. We're not isolated. But God's word is true. It has been in the past, and it will be in the future. Rahab put all her eggs in one basket. Achan took all his eggs out of that one basket. <laughs> because the fact is, God said it, that settles it. Rahab believed it, and Achan did not. Conclusion here, a little bit here. You know, Rahab is a much much more encouraging character to study than Achan. Yet, the example of Achan must be held up before us as well. Because just as God rewards faith, he judges sin. And I just spend a little bit of time between the contrast between Rahab and Achan. Because we're asking the question, are you Rahab or are you Achan? On the surface, Rahab was all wrong because Achan had all the external marks. Rahab was to be devoted to destruction. Achan was an inheritor of the blessing of promise. In the end, however, the roles are reversed. Rahab and all her family were given life, living among the people of God, and Achan and all his family were devoted for destruction. Rahab was a harlot. Achan was an Israelite soldier and a family man. Rahab hid two spies in faith. She hid stolen booty. She hid them under her roof. 
Okay, I'm, I'm actually, I have to be careful. I think I got some duplication here. So just let me pull back. Number one, Rahab is a Canaanite woman. Achan is an Israelite man. Number two, Rahab hides the Israelite spies on her roof. Achan hides the Canaanite loot under his tent. So she hides the Israelites. He hides the Canaanites. Rahab only heard of God, yet fears him. Achan had seen God's power, yet doesn't fear him. Number four, Rahab should have died, but prospers. Achan should have died, should have prospered, but dies. Number five, Rahab's family and possessions survive. Achan's family and possessions are destroyed. Number six, and this is relevant to when this book was written, Rahab is a part of Israel to this day, and Achan is a warning to this day. Number seven, Rahab is commemorated in the Hall of Faith. Achan is commemorated by a heap of stones in the valley of the troubler, Achor. Despite the fact that by birth Rahab is a Canaanite, she in fact looks more like an Israelite. And despite the fact that by birth Achan is an Israelite, he in fact looks more like a Canaanite. Think about it. A prostitute from Jericho hears of the mighty acts of God, believes that he indeed is the one true God, and acts accordingly. However, a man from the tribe of Judah has seen the mighty works of God and knows his covenant promises, yet acts as if God doesn't exist and presumes that he can disobey his commandments. And um, we can go into the whole idea of circumcision. Rahab believed God and proved the genuineness of her faith by her works. Ahab failed to believe God and proved the usefulness uselessness of his circumcision by his disobedience. Rahab was a true Israelite, circumcised in heart. Achan was a true Canaanite, circumcised in flesh, but uncircumcised in heart. And so the challenge for us this morning, am I more like Rahab or am I more like Achan? Let us be dedicated to God And let us encourage one another. Could we kneel in prayer? Lord God, thank you, Lord, for the examples you have given in Scripture. Thank you, Lord, as we have looked into your word and you give us such a clear picture of you, who you are. There needs to be no doubt in our mind, Lord of who you are, what your word is, what you require, what you expect, what you want from us, how you will interact with us, how you will treat us. It is laid out. It is so clear. It is an open book test. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And then, Lord, I just pray for the challenge that's been given to us this morning. That is for each one of us, Lord, whether we be a young person or middle-aged, or older, that this challenge of trusting you 
of walking with you, of being open with you and with others, and, uh, and allowing you to work in our hearts, allowing you, Lord, responding to you, walking with you, that that there is the opportunity we have. And then I pray, Lord, for any, Lord, that may be hiding, may be putting on a front, whatever the case may be, Lord, that I pray, Lord, there will be your spirit, conviction, and that your truth and the reality of the reality of the future would come upon their hearts as well. Lord, we, uh, we, uh, as we, as your people, we want to be clear, clear from sin ourselves and then clear from sin in our midst. We want to lift up your name. We want to win your battles. We want to glorify your name, and we want everyone to come along together. So, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.